and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. This is Tom Reed, joined by Taylor Haas in Pittsburgh and Dave Molinari in New Jersey, lovely Newark, New Jersey, who was on hand last night uh, to witness the Penguins' second consecutive defeat, a 3-2 loss to the Devils, uh, a game which uh, Evgeny Malkin did not play, and we're not sure when he's going to be back. We know he's on IR, uh, along with Teddy Blugers, uh, who's also on IR. So two of their top three centers uh, down. And Dave, uh, you were there. It To me, it looked like a dozy start and kind of a disjointed game as guys try to figure out what they're going to do here without with missing some centers. Yeah, it was uh, – lifeless for for much of the evening they lost an awful lot of puck battles um just uh, you know they they were outworked and out everything i thought um they did in the in the second period i thought they were showing a few signs of life and uh brian rust got a a penalty and <clears throat> i thought that if the penguins could kill that off they might actually have enough momentum that, that they could get themselves back into a game that they had played their way out of to that point. Uh, but the Devils scored uh, their second goal on, on that power play, and the game wasn't quite over then. But, uh, you know, that was uh, when, when they got a third goal shortly thereafter. Yeah. There wasn't much chance that the Penguins were going to come back with the uh, with the way they were playing on that night. D- uh, Taylor, jump in there and, and uh, dub, maybe dovetail off that moment because that did seem like a, a key moment in the game. Uh, you're you're you know you you you're hoping your PK, which hasn't been great all year, but maybe can get you one. Not only do you give up a goal, but then you give up another goal, like within two minutes later, and now the mountain is three nothing. Yeah, um, I mean, it kind of felt like it was over after that. Uh, I mean, looking at the, um, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting game. Like looking at the attempts, the shots, the high danger, like all all the steps other than the goals. Um, I mean, the Penguins did lead and um, everything. I mean, they outshot them forty two thirty five. Uh, scoring chances they had thirty four. The Devils had twenty nine. Um, the high danger ones, uh, they had 13, the, the Devils had nine, um, and then, um, expected goals. So that's the one that kind of takes into account everything, you know, like the quality and like where they're coming from. They, um, had six, it it was 62.3% in their favor, 37.7 in the Devils favor. So like on paper, I mean, everything was going their way. Um, but I mean like that, uh, those quick ones really killed any momentum and then uh scott wedgwood who even wasn't even supposed to play uh was really good too yeah and 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 give credit where it's due uh jack hughes in his second year first year was a little bit underwhelming of course the season kind of got stopped about a year ago as we know because of covid but boy Dave, that was a heck of a play on the first goal. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. just a beautiful shot. I mean, right, right. It's, it's over Jari's shoulder and uh, under the crossbar. That was that was very impressive. I uh, I like that a lot. That was a, you, that's the kind of uh, play that you expect from a guy who goes number one overall. 
And, and, and to uh, follow up on your point a, a week ago, I thought it was interesting what Marcus Pedersen said after the game. He thought that one of the things was that the, the, the Devils did a better job of kind of, you know, getting in front of the net and making life hard. Do you think of the, the second and third goals were both those kind of goals where there was traffic in front, which the Penguins, for all their shots, they didn't seem like they got a whole lot of that tonight. No, and I mean, I, I really thought that Tristan Jari had to make more quality saves than Scott Wedgwood did. Um, yeah, the uh, the Devils, like just about everybody Pittsburgh plays, it seems, uh, you know, caused a lot of havoc in front of their net, got some goals, you know, directly off of uh, having people in front of the net. And then that's something the, the Penguins just don't seem to do uh, on any regular basis. Uh we, and uh, with any uh, high level of effectiveness. Uh, Taylor, uh, obviously when you, when you look at the goals uh, against all on a really nice tip in, let, let's uh, nice to redirect uh, from a point shot from Latang, uh, And then they, they've got the goalie pulled and uh, rust with the goal, but it's, it's from what you would think would be the usual suspects, right? Uh, when, when I watch this game tonight, you know, you're just, you know, there's no bluegers. So that third line, which is so consistent, you can count on it every night. It's not there. There's, there's no, almost no element to it. What did you see from the three lines beyond the, the big, the big line tonight? I mean, not a whole lot of anything. I think you, you pretty much uh, covered it that uh, they really didn't have any great chances that that top line's really the only line they had going. Um, I thought the the fourth line had had some okay, like Angelo had a bit had a couple of big hits. Uh, I, so some guys had individual moments, but as far as like working together and creating chances, not a whole lot. Yeah, so bear in mind, Tom, when you talk about the third line, it's not the third line as we have known it anymore. Oh no, you know the there's there's Zach Aston Reese is the only member of the third line who's still on the third line. Right, right, and and so <laughs> that. You, you, you led me right into, into my question here, and I probably know what your guys' answer is going to be. But, you know, if this continues, if they, if, if they can't, let's, you know, if, if they somehow lose again uh, Saturday afternoon uh, in, in the rematch and then, you know, take one of three games out, there may be some people that say, hey, do you, do you split up that top line? Do you try to balance out the scoring or do you try to find something going? Or are you just going to ride that top line and then see what else – and just hope you can manufacture something from these other guys. Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't break it up. I Because, um, I mean, so they have so many key guys out right just, uh, on the other lines that I don't – you have one effective line. I think you should keep that rather than what having four yeah. pretty much ineffective lines. Yeah. Dave? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think if you had – two quality centers if if Malkin wasn't one of the guys injured um, and, and you could have two good forwards on a pair of lines, I would consider doing it. But, but when you really only have, you know, one high quality center, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, being a one line team is better than being a no line team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know it's 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 funny. We we last I last week when we were on the podcast, I was saying you know Pittsburgh's starting to open up a little bit of a gap here, 
uh, well, boy, it just takes two consecutive losses. And sure enough, the, uh, the gap closes. Uh, they still have a four-point lead over uh, the Flyers for the fourth and final playoff spot. But the Flyers do have two goals, two games in hand. I was going to say two goals after giving up nine uh, two nights ago. They were able to uh, come back and beat the Islanders. So we'll see where this goes. It's, it's uh, certainly going to be a bit of a nervy time right now. Uh, and we're going to bat around the whole issue of what to do if this injury is short-term, long-term uh, to Evgeny Malkin. We still don't know exactly what it is. Maybe we get some clarity with that tomorrow. We're going to discuss that. And uh, later in the show, we're going to have Tom Kostopoulos, uh, uh, player development coach for the Penguins. So stick around for all of this here on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast uh, on here, DK Sports Radio. We'll have our interview with Tom Kostopoulos, uh, player development coach for the Penguins, a little bit later. Uh, but guys, I wanted to, to kind of bat around a subject that obviously is on everyone's mind right now. And do keep in mind, as we're recording this, it's Thursday afternoon. Uh, so when you're listening to this podcast, some of the news may be a little bit outdated, but we want, but it's a huge topic with Evgeny Malkin, an injury, and what this means for the Penguins if it's a little bit longer term or long term. Dave, what was the, the news coming out of uh, Morning Skate Thursday in New Jersey? Well, uh, Mike Sullivan uh, told us that uh, Malkin is uh, continuing to be evaluated for the injury he got on on Tuesday night when uh, he was hit by Jared Tenorti of the Bruins and that they hope to uh, be able to make more information available in a day or two. Uh, he certainly didn't commit to any, any time frame uh, or really uh, offer any insight into the type of uh, injury that Malkin had received. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of hard news that came out of it, but uh, that, that was the update Thursday morning. Okay. If this is a short term, and it's if it's a short term, by that I mean even if he's out a week or two, uh, the one thing the Penguins have on their side, and again, with saying this, without their number three center too, Teddy Bluger, who has been termed out longer term, with uh, an upper body injury, maybe a, a mid-body injury uh, in the game two, uh, two games ago. Uh, how long can they survive? I, I'll throw this stat out at you, and you still have to win those games. 14 of the next 19 against the Sabres, Devils, and Rangers. Uh, could they get through a stretch like that, Taylor, and still find themselves in playoff position at that point? I mean, that's tough because uh, there's not really very many options in-house who could help them in that time. Um, Jared McCann, it's, it seems like he's getting closer. He can come back and he would, you know, he could be helped to the top six. But, um, I mean, playing like with your second line of Tanev, Rodriguez, and, and Kappen, and that can only get you so far. Um, 
and then that they're kind of like I said, there's really no options in house to really help you with the depth below that. I mean, Jankowski is your third line center, also not ideal. I, I just, um, I don't think that can last uh, short term. Maybe a couple games, but um, longer term, they'd they'd be in trouble. Dave, uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's uh, you know, they uh, a week ago they uh, seemed uh, very nicely positioned down the middle. You know. To the the point where you they might have uh, benefited from an upgrade uh, to Jankowski on the fourth line, but they were very uh, looking very strong on the top three. Now you know now two of those three are gone. Uh, we really don't know what longer term means in the uh, in the case of Bluger. That uh, is one of the ill-defined. Uh, terms that gets thrown around now in uh relating to hockey injuries uh and you know it's it's kind of tough to uh guess how long uh Malkin will be out or exactly what the the fact that they're continuing to evaluate him means does it it mean that they're trying to decide that uh whether this is something that needs to uh just be rested a bit as opposed to going through any sort of uh, rehab program? Or, you know, is it a worst-case scenario where they're trying to decide whether rehab would be enough to uh, address it? Or, or is it something that has to be surgically repaired? You know, it's a uh, uh, quite a spectrum there for, for possibilities with, with Malkin at this point. Yeah, and, and, and when, you, when you do the math, and we're, we're talking uh, they had a day off Correct. They've had a day off. They had a day off between the injury and when you spoke uh, with them on with Sullivan on Thursday morning. That 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 seems concerning. That that they it does has that feel of. And again, we're speculating, but it does have that feel of. Do we try to rehab this, or is there are are they going to have to do some something more like a surgery surgery, Taylor? Put your GM's hat on. Welcome, welcome, Ron Hextall, to the team that you thought you really liked. You told Dave Molinari you really like this team, and you're going along. You seem like you got three lines that are rolling over. Here comes the trade deadline, and uh, your number two center, your future Hall of Famer, may be out for the season. Are you trying to make a move to salvage this season? Can you make a move to salvage this season? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think they could go out and uh, add a center regardless of if Malkin comes back or not just because, uh, like we've talked about a couple times now, Jankowski, not a very good option in the bottom six. But um, what they're able to go that out and add it depends on, um, you know, if Malkin is out for the rest of the, the re- regular season or Jason Zucker, one of them, because they just need that L- long-term IR space. And if either one of them – uh, go on LTIR and come back, then they they can't afford to go out and add someone just, uh, you know, in the meantime, because they would need to be cap compliant when they're healthy again. But, um, I mean, two guys that stand out, two centers around the league that stand out as guys who might be moved, um, just uh, two teams from two of the three in the bottom standings, uh, Detroit and Anaheim. Um, Anaheim, Adam Henrique, uh, is a guy that, that could be moved uh, this trade deadline. He has a cap hit of $5.825 million, So um, that would 
the, they would need to get creative there. Um, someone would need to be on LTIR for the remainder of the regular season probably to get that relief or, you know, the Ducks would need to retain um, a good bit of that salary. And then in, uh, on the Red Wings, uh, Luke Lindenning um, could be a good option for the for bottom six, uh, one of those centers. Um, he's a bit more affordable at 1.8 million. So um, he, he's someone that maybe they could they could work it out where if, if someone isn't going to be on LTIR for the remainder of the season, they could maybe squeeze in Glenn Denning if they move out, you know, like a defenseman or, um, you know, another, uh, you know, bottom six forward. They could, they could fit him in. But, I mean, there are options out there if you look at uh, the teams uh, around the bottom of the standings who are uh, might be having, you know, fire sales. Yeah. Dave, uh, I mean – would it would it can they do it and would it even be worth to do it if 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 the announcement comes out that Malkin is out long term and and may not return until well into the playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, what they do has to be dictated in large part by the prognosis for not only um, Malkin but uh, Bluger as well. If in a worst case scenario, they would both be out for much, if not all, of the rest of the regular season, I don't see how they could uh, bring in replacements for both. Yeah. Um, and while I, I know it's not in the, uh, the nature of these guys to, you know, give up on a season or, you know, concede to reality or whatever, um, I I just don't know that they should uh, essentially throw good money after bad by trying to salvage what would uh, look an awful lot like a hopeless cause, despite the uh, the quality players that they would still have uh, presumably healthy, you know, on their roster. Yeah, and, and again, I want to, to for our listeners to, to understand, we're just trying to give you. Uh, Cases, different scenarios. We don't know. Uh, again, we're, we're taping this on Thursday afternoon. We don't know uh, what the Penguins are going to come out with in the next day or two and saying as far as Evgeny Malkin or with any update on Teddy Bluger. But we're just trying to, to present scenarios of what they might do if it were longer term or if it were shorter term. Um, can, how far could this team – could they – uh, okay, if, if 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 these guys could not return till let's say the start of the, the the playoffs, and let's 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 go more with Malkin. If if Malkin were out until the start of the playoffs, can this team still get to the playoffs uh, uh, without Evgeny Malkin? Taylor. Uh, I mean, they really don't have that much of a hold on their their current spot. I think. Um... Uh, the the Flyers are in fifth right now. They're they're six points behind them. Um, in and the Penguins are in third place. Top four make the playoffs. Uh, so it's it's they're really not a lock at this point. If they're losing Morgan, especially as as good as he's been lately with Kapanen, and uh, and they lose that connection and the points they're getting from that, I, I I really don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. Dave, if 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 if. if. If, if the scenario is Bluger's back in two weeks, uh, but Malkin is out until probably the start of the playoffs, so they have a playoff team. 
Um, I think they, they could be uh, in that case. I, you know, I, I think it's important to factor Bluger into all of this. Um, it's a lot more of a challenge to uh, try to fill two holes rather than, than one. Um, they wouldn't be the first team to have to try to get by for an extended period without a key guy. In fact, they uh, have a bit of experience uh, themselves in that regard. Uh, but, you know, if they would uh, be without Bluger you know, through the regular season uh, and have the same be true of Malkin, uh, that that would be quite a challenge. You, you would have to have guys like uh, Crosby and Latang and Gensel and Jari uh, raise their games to levels that, you know, would uh, – would probably be too much to expect, and then to. Playoffs with that worst case scenario in effect would probably require a team below them to implode, you know, kind of like Philadelphia has done lately. <laughs> Again, to your point earlier, I mean, other teams are going through the same kind of issues. Uh, the Islanders, uh, who have been as hot as anybody in the league right now, Anders Lee, who's just the heart and soul of that team, out with an, an ACL tear he's done for this season. You mentioned the Flyers, and they just look terrible. And I don't mean just the 9 nothing loss. Carter Hart hasn't played very well this season. Uh, they, they are hemorrhaging goals. I think they are near the bottom of the league in goals against. I think – I do think in the scenario where – if Malkin wasn't coming back for the start of the playoffs and Bluger could get back in a week or two, I do think they could make it. With the schedule, they have the favorable schedule they have coming up, coupled with the struggles of the Flyers. The Rangers aren't going to – the Rangers are just – they're going to tread water the rest of the season, I think. I think that they that the Penguins can still make it. It'll be fun. Of course, again, this is not what any of us were – talking about a week ago when it was all sunshine and rainbows with, with the way the team was playing and they're still playing well, uh, but they're going to have to uh, really bear down here and, and deal with some adversity. Uh, in the meantime, another player that will probably be back and is going to be back in the lineup, uh, Brandon Tanev uh, the other night uh, uh, scored a goal, but then didn't last a lot longer. Uh, he was tossed from the game for his hit on Tenorti. Um, first of all, you two, what did you, what did you make of the call, uh, itself of being ejected from the game, uh, for the hit, for those who didn't see it, it happened about five feet from the boards to Nordy went in really, really got hurt. I, we've not, I, I've not heard an update on him. Uh, maybe one of you two can help out it, but it, he's had a serious history of concussion. Uh, it didn't look good. Uh, but my thought was up until that, you know, I thought it was a, Fairly clean hit, low, not low, but not head at about right on time as, as he shot the puck in. But he ends up getting a five-minute boarding call. Taylor? Yeah, I uh, the, just uh, to start, there is no update on Tenorti yet, but um, I, I thought it looked like a clean hit. But I, I, I think, you know, a big part of why Tanev got the call he did was um, because uh, – Tenorti, I mean, he really got hurt on the play. He really uh, – that it was kind of scary to watch. He went limp uh, at first. Looks like he might have gotten knocked out. Uh, it 
and I, I mean, that's, you don't like to see that, but it also just because he got hurt doesn't mean it was a bad hit. Um, kind of a rough call. And Crosby talked about that after he said he'd like to, you know, the players, they'd like to receive clarity on what is and what isn't a good hit. Um, Cause looking at, you know, that hit and then some recent hits around the league, uh, no one really knows. Dave, I want to let's stick with the hit first, and then we'll get to what what Taylor just mentioned as far as Crosby's comments. Uh, you were, I think, you were in the building when you saw it, and you saw the the officials huddle. Kind of what goes through your mind, and and how close did they get it right or not get it right? Um, well, I mean, when they were huddling, it was you know pretty clear what what they were discussing and trying you know trying to reach a consensus on. Uh, the, I mean, the call that was made is probably not the one that I would have gone with, but I understand that when they're supposed to be prioritizing player safety, um, that that could uh, tilt the balance in favor of, you know, uh, calling a penalty there. Um, and, you know, the... Uh, the the rule is so vaguely worded that yes, you could you could make a case for just about anything they would or would not call, and you know and, and defend it with uh, with wording that you you would find in the rule. So, uh, like I say, it's I I don't know that I agree with the call, but I I think I understand the uh, the thinking that probably uh, helped to shape it. Yeah, it's one of those ones. I thought I, I tweeted this out as it happened. I did not think it was a dirty, a dirty hit at all. But I also wasn't surprised with the penalty. Uh, I could have. I, I did, did. Did they have the option? Did they have the option of just calling a major penalty and leaving him in the game? Yes. Yeah, I, I, that, that I, was the initial call. Then when they reviewed it, then they added on the game misconduct. Yeah. Uh, I and, and and I thought Mike's. I mean, we're gonna get to again to get, get to what Crosby said in a second. But I thought Mike Sullivan really kind of uh, was absolutely right in in his critique. If that play happens a few feet closer to the board, that hit happens. There's no issue. If that hap, hit happens three or four feet closer to center ice, Tenorti probably has time to get his his arm up and brace himself for impact with the wall. It was an unfortunate area of the ice, a dangerous area of the ice, anywhere five feet around the rink uh, within the boards. You always, you have a, the, 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 the potential for uh, a real injury play, but I don't think Tanif can, can do that calculus in his head as he's coming across the ice. Now to Crosby's point, uh, Crosby was saying they want clarity on these type of hits. Let's be honest, the NHL, there's not a ton of this type of hitting anymore. There used to be a lot of it uh, over the years for different reasons, specifically rules and player safety. A lot of it's been taken out. Does Crosby have a point with this, Dave? Does some of these guys like like Brandon Tanev, we'll just use him as an example, he's a Penguin. Does he, do you think these guys understand when they're going in to lay a big hit what they're getting themselves into? Uh, no, and, and uh, you know that's at least in part because you know what is or is not called is a judgment call by by the referee, and you don't have the same referee in every game, uh, you know, with the same angle, uh, 
on on every hit and who's the same distance from every hit there you know there's uh in this case, the uh, the gray area is a lot bigger than the black and the white areas. Um, you know, clarity would be nice, and and I think the league could provide a little more than is there. But you know, you're talking about a judgment call by uh, human beings, and so you know, consistency is uh, probably a, a little too much to hope for. Taylor, does 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 Brandon Tanif? have to change his game or, or can, or can he afford the way that he plays? Can he afford to change his game or does he have to just hope, Hey, the next time that situation happens, it's, you know, first of all, the guy doesn't get injured. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to injure the player. I think we can all say that, but does it impact his thinking now that he's been assessed a major penalty? No, um, no. I mean, he's not a, a dirty player. He plays the game hard. Uh, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened to Chinorty. Uh, and I mean, I don't, I don't agree with the call. I know. I mean, he obviously doesn't agree with the call. If you watched uh, his reaction to it, he was kind of a uh, blown away. But uh, no, I don't think he he changes because, and I'm, it, I don't think it's a. Uh, uh, necessarily a thing of like where they're just calling the game that way because I mean like we just said uh, so inconsistent that uh, I mean like there is a like an like an hour after that hit maybe like in, in a in a West Coast game the Wild in, in Arizona there's like a hit to the head um, on uh, OEL and he uh, uh, the Wild player only got a minor penalty so I mean it, it's it's hard to keep track of like what what hits weren't what types of penalties around the league so uh when when that's the case i don't think you can say that anyone should change their game to satisfy any uh you know types of calls because they they vary the way they do yeah i do think it's changed the game though ever since the league and again i'm not saying that's wrong please don't get me and again i think we all i extend you know to to Tenorti and his family hopefully everything's okay because you don't want to see a player get hurt uh, but I do think it has changed. I think that 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 over the years, the emphasis on player safety has changed the way the game's played. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but the game doesn't have as much hitting. And that's why a hit like that on the other night stood out so much. You just don't see that hit a lot anymore in the NHL. And we'll see where it goes from there. I agree with you, Taylor. I don't think Tanif is going to change his game. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Where we're going is to our third segment, and when we come back here on EK Sports Radio, we will have Tom Kostopoulos. Stay tuned. Welcome back to our third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast. And we are delighted uh, to be joined by Tom Kostopoulos. Uh, now, right now, we're working as the Penguins player development coach in his third season in that role. Uh, former, played more than 600 games in the NHL, uh, parts of three seasons with the Penguins, and also had a, you know, certainly has played a, played a long time in the minors. So he's really seen all areas, all facets of professional hockey and knows what it's to, to be a professional hockey player. Tom, thanks for joining us today. 
Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Hey, Tom, what I want to know right off the, the bat for, with your position, uh, law usually, normally, under normal circumstances, probably a lot of travel all over the continent uh, to, to see players. What has the challenge been like for you this year where I'm assuming uh, travel has been limited, especially going into Canada, stuff like that? How have you kind of worked, tried to work around that? Yeah, it's been a different year for sure. Um, the organization's been great. They they want to make sure all the scouts and development guys and people in our roles that travel a lot are very safe this year. Um, and just being smart and responsible that way and following all the protocols. So we can't get out to see our players as much as possible and the scouts can't get out to, uh, to evaluate players either. So it's been a lot of online stuff, a lot of watching games online. It's really opened the door to different uh, pathways of watching games, streaming games, and and watching games on your computer. Um, we still try and get out to the to the games that we can, and then we try and get to Wilkesbury and Wheeling, and watch our young guys in, in that in those places, but uh, not the travel that we're used to. And then just the communication with players, you know, yeah. with a lot of our guys that are playing in junior or college. Um, you can go see them and, and get to have some face-to-face -face time with them and talk with them after the games. But now it's a lot on the phone or Zoom calls um, and just trying to communicate with them that way. So everyone's had to adapt. I think we're, we're making the most of it and uh, you know, just trying to help our players while following all the protocol and rules this year. Do you have any plans to go to Canada and, and see any of those guys there in person? I know you'd have to quarantine first, but uh, will you be leaving Wilkes-Barre at any point? I actually live in Canada. I'm just outside of Toronto. So it's been an interesting year that way for me. Um, you know, when I've come to the States uh, to go to Pittsburgh for training camp or I've been to Wilkes-Barre a couple of times to spend some time with the team there and our young guys there, each time I come back to Canada, um, I have to quarantine at home so it's been a little tricky and difficult but you know it is what it is i'm grateful that we're able to work and that hockey's being played um so we're, we're making do with it um now that i am home um you know the two guys that we have in, in quebec i'm gonna try and get up there to see them play the quebec league's playing in these bubbles so they have three teams in a bubble and each team will have two games, so I'm going to try and head up to uh, Val d'Or, Quebec, pretty soon and watch them. And then uh, our other player in Canada is out in Western Canada. I don't know if I'll get out there this year, but uh, we're just going to have to see how the rest of the season goes and the schedule works out. How much of uh, Poulin and Legere have you seen uh, virtually up to this point? And just what have you, have you seen from them, the, the strides they've made this year? Well, at the beginning of the season, they were really the only league playing, um, you know, when college wasn't going yet and the WHL wasn't playing and the OHL still isn't playing. So we were watching pretty much all of their games um, online and giving them feedback. Um, so they got a lot of attention early. Um, and to watch them develop has been fantastic. They both had really good training camps in Pittsburgh, and we've really liked the way that they're coming along. And it was fortunate for us that uh, they both ended up in Val d'Or on the same team in the Quebec League. Um, it's a really good team. They, they have a lot, of, uh, a lot of firepower on that team. So we're kind of hoping they have a chance to compete for some kind of playoffs or a Memorial Cup if it's possible. But they're both doing really well. Like 
uh, you know, they're both working on their skating, they're both scoring and, and setting up plays. And then it's like small areas of the game that uh, Mike Sullivan was pretty clear that he wants them to work on to take the next step. So they've both been working on it with their puck decisions at the blue lines and playing defensively in their own end, just little things like that. So when they do make the step to pro, the coaches can totally trust them and, and then they'll earn more ice time that way. So they both bought into it and uh, it's been fun watching them this year. You know, as, as, as writers and, and reporters, we know what the kind of the difference from being in the arena live and having to watch a game on television or on, on our computer and the kind of the, how the, how you have to adjust, but we just have to write and get kind of get the facts right you're trying to evaluate stuff. How how difficult is this for you? And what do you maybe lose out a little bit when you're just watching on the computer as, as opposed to being in the in the arena and getting to maybe see all the things on the periphery that, that, that the camera's not showing? Yeah, great question. There's definitely some advantages and disadvantages. Um, the advantages watching them online is that you get to watch way more games. Um, and then, you know, I can give them immediate feedback. Um, so that's nice. And then you can always use replay. So it's sometimes when you're live and something happens quick and you're not exactly sure what they did or how they reacted, watching them online, you can rewind it and watch it a few times. Um, and then it's easier to give them feedback that way. But uh, it is hard sometimes with the camera. There's a lot of the things that go on behind the play that you don't see. And body language heading to the bench and coming off the bench and and things that happen behind the play. So you miss all that. Um, and then there's just something about meeting the player face-to-face -face in person, yeah. being at the game, um, being close to the ice where you can see their facial expressions and what they're going through and how hard they're working and the actual speed that the game is being played at. Um, you don't get a taste for that as much online. So... We're trying to do our best um, and get to as many games as we can just to see them all live. And then, you know, hopefully if this uh, pandemic settles down, we're hoping to return to that next year. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing our best for sure. All right, I think I'm back. Uh, from, from, from when you've been in Wilkes-Barre, just what are your impressions of the identity of, of that team? Uh, it's a lot of guys who are new to Wilkes-Barre or new to the pro game entirely. Yeah, it's been awesome. They have a really good environment in Wilkes-Barre and a really great atmosphere. Jeff Barrett and his staff have created a environment there where it's such a good development spot. Um, and then J.D. Forrest and Kevin Porter, um, J.D. in his first year as a head coach and Kevin Porter's first year as an assistant coach, have done a really good job. They have an energy for, for working with the players and uh, to go down there and watch them and be with them and see the energy on the ice and how hard they're working and, and things they're working toward has been, has been really great. It was neat because a lot of the guys that kind of thought they'd be in the AHL were worried a lot this year because there was times where it didn't look like the AHL was going to play. And uh, once it was finally set that there were going to be games, training camp and games, just to see how excited everyone was to, to get going, to get training camp going, to get games started. It was really awesome to be part of. Um, and the team works. You know, they brought in some leaders like Curry and Goudreau um, that work really hard. You got uh, Churchman on the back end that leads back there. And then John Lazat, he's still 
um, young in his years pro, but he, he plays like a leader. So it's a, it's a good leadership group that practices the right way. And then all the young guys that come in are learn quickly that this is the way you got to practice every day. So they, they work really hard and the young guys are doing a good job. It's a, it's a good team. It's a competitive environment and they're all working hard. You, uh, he mentioned the energy of the coaching staff. JD talked about the three-on-three -three games you play between like the coaching staff and some of the extra players after morning skates. Uh, maybe a benefit of, with the team having such a younger coaching staff. What just what are those games like, and how intense are they? Oh, it's very intense. We were uh, <laughs> making sure we got our pregame meals the night before and a good sleep, so we're ready. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's. Uh, you know, I think everyone that's in this sport loves the competitive environment. And uh, it's something that we do more for the players, but the coaches are still competitive and, and get into it. And uh, once the puck's dropped, everyone's competing. And it's neat because these young guys coming up, uh, you know, they have more skill and they're faster um, and they're talented. But then coaches can teach them a little something on just how to communicate with your players and move the puck and spread the zone and double team coverage in zones so there's little little tricks that the coaches try and use in the players to uh, get an advantage but the guys work and it, it, cre it creates a fun environment where we're competing with them so that's good yeah i know uh, jd he showed up to a post game zoom uh a, cu a couple days ago and he had a he had a mark above his eye it looks like <laughs> coaches day-to-day uh, -day <laughs> upper body injuries too uh so i mean it sounds intense um but what have, uh, what have your impressions been of Drew O'Connor, Ben, in the three games that he's been in Wilkes-Barre, you know, finally playing big minutes for the, for the first time this season? Drew's been great. You know, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to ask um, a college kid to jump in the NHL and play on the fourth line. And, and playing on the fourth line in the NHL, you know, some people think it's easy, but it's hard. You get different minutes all the time. Your role's all over the place. You never know what you're going to get on a given night. And it's really tough and he's learning every day, but uh, the organization made a decision that it would be best for him to come to Wilkes and play some games and get some minutes in. And he came down with a great attitude and he's fit in really well. The first game, uh, you know, I personally kind of thought it would take him a few games to, to just to get into condition where he could eat, where he could play big minutes, but he was all over it. He was creating chances. Um, you know, I think he had three or four high quality chances, scored a nice goal. Um, in the second game, he was making things happen. So he's a good skater. Um, he surprises defensemen with his, I think he's a deceptive skater and he's got a long reach. So he turns pucks over and that's a really underrated talent. Uh, not everyone can do that. Um, but he, 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 he creates a lot of turnovers for his line mates. And then he has the hockey sense to, uh, generate scoring chances out of that. So. He's, uh, he's been great so far, and I, I expect, fully expect his game just to keep improving uh, until Pittsburgh calls him back up again. Yeah. Are there any other players maybe outside of Wilkes-Barre, Juniors College Europe, who stand out as someone who uh, Penguins fans can really look forward to? Um, I mean, there, there's a bunch in Wilkes-Barre that are knocking on the door. Um, Redeem Zahorna is a big guy that we signed from Czech, and he's come over and really embraced the North American game. He's a big body, strong, he's hard on the puck, and he's learning to play in a smaller rink, and he keeps getting better and better. So it's gonna just a matter of time before he plays his first NHL game, and we can see what he can do at the NHL level. 
Um, you know, it was great to see P.O. Joseph get a chance in Pittsburgh and what he did. He's come back with a great attitude. Um, and that guy, kid just works so hard every day. Um, he just continues to improve on his game. Um, it'll be nice uh, once he's up in Pittsburgh to stay, that's for sure. Uh, as far as guys that are not playing pro yet, um, I was just watching North Dakota play and, and Judd Caulfield. Uh, they're trying to win a national championship out there. You know, he's he's probably still got a, more time in college, but he's really taking steps in his game and, and progressing. He's progressing really well. He's kind of gone from a guy looking on the outside on that team to to a legitimate one of their top players. So it's been fun to watch him. Um who else should we talk about? I don't want to leave guys <laughs> leave guys out. Uh, Valtteri do, do you watch? Pus, okay, Pustin. yeah, I was going to say, do you watch the European guys? Cause yeah, yeah, we do. Valtteri Pustinen is a guy that's uh, he's on fire right now. He's been scoring goals uh, all kinds. Um, it's been a really good season for him. They they got stopped uh, once or twice with uh, being in quarantine for for a couple of weeks, but. Now they're playing, and he's been he's been lighting the lamp. So he's someone that we're excited to to get over here and kind of get used to the North American game. But he's got some high end skill. Casper um, Bjorkvist started the season really well. Uh, we found a spot for him overseas um, in Finland, and he's been playing really well. He's a guy that. Uh, I assume next season we'll be fighting for a spot in Pittsburgh. He's such a responsible player, and he works so hard. He's a tremendous athlete. I think that he'll be knocking on the door. Um, you know, Andy Kyoto, our goaltending development coach, does a great job with the goalies. He's really excited about Blomquist and Klang. They're both playing well and uh, and developing the the right way. So there's lots of players that we're really excited about. Um, I don't know if there's other guys in particular you want to talk about. With uh, Bjorkquist, uh, I don't know how much you were around him last year when he was in Wilkes-Barre, but I mean, when he was hurt for the whole year, just what can you say about his work ethic, um, doing what he can, you know, off the ice uh, to, to kind of keep progressing? Because uh, I know I talked to Volucci and he said, you know, he was stick handling like for a couple hours a day. Yeah, Casper's, uh, he's... He's a, he's a tremendous athlete, and he works really hard. And whatever you tell him to do, he'll do, which is great. So he had a lot of time off with the surgery, and he was doing anything that he could just to, to keep up his skills and talents or strength in any area. So he spent a lot of time. Ty Hennis, uh, the skills coach, sent him stick handling drills that he was doing, and then he spent a lot of time this summer uh, doing hockey-specific training, and I think it really paid off, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, and he just works. He wants to be in the NHL. He wants to be an NHL regular, and uh, I think he's going to get there sooner than later. Um, but he's always working. He's always looking for something to get better at. He's a, he's a great person and a great athlete, and I think uh, you know next season should be a big one for him. Tom, you obviously uh, – we mentioned – leading into this, you played a veteran of 630 NHL games, but you had to pay your dues uh, to, to get up to the uh, NHL level, including uh, 
know, several years in Wilkes-Barre. And it's kind of, do you, when you saw Teddy Bluger and he spent parts of four seasons, mostly three seasons in the minors, kind of pay his dues the same way. Uh, could you relate to kind of the, uh, the, the kind of the struggle, the, the weight he had uh, to get his chance in the NHL? Yeah. Um, you know, Teddy, everyone loves Teddy. The guy came in and just worked his tail off right from the beginning. Um, you know, no one's ever had to have a conversation with Teddy about working harder. He, uh, he just gets it and he works hard every single day. And what he went through was very similar to what I went through. And sometimes when you're in the minors for that long, you think, is this ever going to happen? Um, or am I just going to be a career minor league player? But, uh, Teddy kept pushing and kept pushing and, and he just forced everyone's hand. He, uh, you know, he became the best player in Wilkes-Barre consistently and uh, earned his shot. And, you know, it, I think it was worth the wait for him. You know, it wasn't like get called up and go back down and get called up and get sent back down. You know, it, they waited till he was ready. And now he's contributing to Pittsburgh's lineup and he's a heck of a hockey player. I think sometimes um it can be a bit misleading with guys that work that hard and do everything right and practice so harder in the weight room um some people forget that he's he's a really good hockey player too like he's he's doing great i think it was he have 15 points and he doesn't play the power play that's pretty impressive to do in the nhl and the type of role that he does um being so responsible defensively killing penalties um it's been fun to watch his chemistry with brandon tan of they're, uh, they're just responsible in every situation. But um, when Teddy came into Wilkes, it was just like, you know, it was sometimes there's players that you have to tell them to young guys, you have to say, okay, you know, you should be the last guy on the ice. You should be out there working harder. You should be in the gym more. Teddy was the other way. Teddy, we'd have to say, okay, Teddy, we got a game tomorrow. Like, go home. Get off the ice, buddy. Get off the bike. <laughs> Um, but that's him. That's that's why his teammates love him. That's why his coaches love him. That's why he's a he's a heck of a hockey player. So it's uh, everything that Teddy's getting now. He's he's worked for and he deserves. So it's a lot of fun to watch from the outside. Watch his career. Tom, we'll get you out of here with this. Um, your career it's a, it's very interesting. Again, long NHL career. But on bracketed on both sides uh, with just obviously a love for the game, wanting to keep playing, keep pushing, uh, long stretches in the minors, and also a, a long junior career is leading up to it. My question is, do you think that's helped you in the role that you're in? Because you've experienced just about everything there is in the game from, from a player development side. Uh, the highs, the, the playing in the NHL, playing 12 games in, in the playoffs in the 07-08 year with the Canadians – to kind of winding your career down, going back to the minors. Do you think that's helping you uh, with, with, with some of these young kids as you try to help map out their pro careers? Yeah, it definitely is. I was very fortunate when I uh, hit the point where I, I you know, I wasn't going to earn another NHL job and Wilkes-Barre asked me to come back there and see if, see if I'd like it and enjoy the, the role being the older kind of mentor guy. I wasn't sure about going back to the, AHL and the minors but uh, you know my wife and kids got on board and they were great with it and we went back and I loved it and I just you know the thing we decided to try for one year turned into five years 
<laughs> and I just really loved it. I loved working with the young guys. I loved playing uh, minutes again. And it just kind of fell into this role in development. You know, I developed a good relationship with the organization and uh, Billy Guerin. And then to come into this, I feel like I got to work with guys that were first rounders, second rounders, guys that were free agents, guys that were never drafted. Um, guys coming out of college, guys coming from junior, over from Europe. And I got to play with all these guys and just see what they were doing, how they were doing, how they were progressing, guys that were taking advantage of it, guys that were making mistakes. Um, and then when you put our development staff together with Scott Young, the career he's had, uh, myself, Andy Kyoto, and then Eric Heasley in the office, and now uh, Trevor Daly joining, we feel that you know, any situation any of our players could be going through, we've either been through or we've experienced, um, so we can help them. And if there's any situation that's new, we're, we're eager to learn about it and help out. So it's a really good group that we have that's kind of seen a little bit of everything, you know. I've been traded, I've been put on waivers, I've been in most situations you could be in as a player, played in the minors, played in the NHL. So to our staff, I just think we've seen almost everything that uh, the sport has to offer. And then we can, we can offer all that information and feedback to our players, which I think and hope helps them. Well, good stuff, Tom. Thank you uh, for joining us. And we'd love to have you back at, at another time. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Okay. That's it for this week's uh, 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. Make sure you join us again early next week, Monday night or Tuesday. And for Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas, I'm Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next time.